0: Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of our new Let's Talk podcast series. I'm Maria, the Prevention and Youth Engagement Coordinator at the National Runaway Safe Line. The National Runaway Safe Line, or NRS, is the federally supported national communication system for runaway and homeless youth in the United States, providing crisis support and resources to over 125,000 youth, families, and communities annually. This November, as we recognize National Runaway Prevention Month, I have the honor of hosting this podcast series where our hope is to elevate the voices of young people as they share their stories and highlight the complexities and intersections that are witnessed by the 4.2 million young people experiencing homelessness across the united states each year in this episode i'm so excited to introduce to you all mariana aguirre rios over the past few months, I've had the privilege to work with Mariana and learn from her as she has shared her story and her advocacy to national audiences. Mariana is a Denver native and a certified peer support specialist who has years of experience in children's advocacy, currently working at Denver Health as a care navigator. She is also a member of our National Runaway Safeline Youth Advisory Board. Mariana, thank you so much for joining us today. Can you tell me a little bit more about yourself and your story?
1: Thinking about where to start. And I think for, like, advocacy and, like, getting the root of, the like, a lot of problems, um, you know, it starts at a very young age as kids and sometimes even before, like, in the belly, um... And, like, when I think about myself and my story, it really it really does start there for me. Like, even before I was born. Um, and it starts with my mom. Just all the things that she went through. And as I've aged and as I've learned, like, I learned more and more how, like, our experiences really do shape us. And the experiences of... Our parents shape us. And so like everything that she lived and all, all the things that she went through, even like just getting to the states and her being an immigrant, you know, and then her being uh, a single mom of eight kids, you know, that was a lot. And I think about like the advocacy that I do is, is really related in the things that she needed and didn't get. And then, and in turn, that creates, like, the domino effect. And then the, those are the things that I also didn't get.
0: That is such a beautiful way to frame this. But I just think you're so eloquent and like, the way, because I know in during the panel, like, you talked about generational trauma. And I feel like this is what you're describing right now. Yeah. And the way that you're able to like articulate it to people who might not know what that is, is like really beautiful. So like, I I just thank you for sharing. And you said, uh, your experiences, even like before you were born, your like parents experiences have influenced you in so many ways and influenced your advocacy. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I think, um, Like,
1: unfortunately, like, it's going to probably go dark and deep, but I think it's very important to talk about, especially nowadays, Um, but just, like, you know, abuse that's in the family, and, like, sexual abuse in particular, Um, and then just girls going their entire lives without saying anything or saying something and their mother's not believing them. And we gotta do something about it. Unfortunately, like the statistics are real. It's just like, you know, um, we, for the most part, victims know their perpetrator. And for the most part, it's going to be at the hands of a friend or family member. And we're still not doing anything about it. I, I feel like, you know, there's thousands and thousands of kids missing. Child trafficking is on the rise and it's awful. And when my mom experienced that, like you said, it was, you know, a generational curse thing and so did I.
0: Advocacy has been a big part of my healing process and mm-hmm. using what is disposable to me to highlight where the system fails and highlight the injustice or like the work that still needs done. Mm-hmm. And I know what you do is so similar to my my work. I think we have a lot in common there where you still work with children and you work in advocacy and you work sure. where that pain is. If, does that make sense? Yeah. Do you feel like, how do you feel like these experiences impacted your adulthood or your, the choices you make as an adult?
1: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And like, it took me a while to get here and to push myself here. Um, It wasn't until my brother died, because then it was, it became, you know, like, not only like my experiences, but then I saw the experiences of him, and then him as a male, and him as a a male of color in the United States, and I put myself in his shoes, and I realized, you know, not only do I have to advocate for for people that look like me, but advocate for other people um, that don't look like me, but it's hard. It's not easy sometimes you know you get those hard days and you get and you hear a sad story or you see someone that looks like you or you see someone that reminds you of your family and you just have to pick yourself up and go you know
0: can you tell me a little bit more about your brother
1: i mean he was my brother you know like
0: younger older
1: he's older um and he was great we had the same mom but different dads um Unfortunately, he really didn't grow up with his dad, but neither did I. And I felt like, and I still feel this way, like I could live. I could have easily been him. He was addicted to alcohol for many years, and there just came a point after just doing everything we could as, you know, as my sisters, my mom, as a family, we had after rehab stay. Like you know, he just wanted. To be in that lifestyle, unfortunately, I just, and I didn't get it back then, like I just, back then I wasn't knowledgeable of, you know, trauma-informed enough to know that he, he was doing it because he was traumatized at one point in his life, and he was suppressing it just like, you know, I was, and not realizing I was doing the same thing, and he just wanted to be on the streets, unfortunately. In the non-profit world, you know, we call it permanent homelessness. Just someone that just wants to be homeless. And he was. And the last time I saw him was in alive was in December of 2019. I mean, 2018. December of 2018. Every now and then he goes to my sister's house, you know. When he says, yeah, I want to go back to the hospital. Yeah, I want to go to rehab. It's... Back then I didn't know how hard it was to get off of things. And I didn't have enough empathy for that. And I went to go see him and I just like knew that he wasn't gonna survive another year. Being on the streets being an alcoholic and then, you know, eventually you get to a point where you just will do and ingest anything and he wasn't like that. He you know, he would only drink. And unfortunately, he just got onto the drugs as well. And I feel like that's what like killed him faster. Like obviously, like the alcohol and stuff, but mentally, he was just no longer like himself, and his body was just gone. And then he died in April 2020. Of 20. I mean, April of 2019.
0: I'm so sorry for your loss. You said that his life and death impacted your career and, like, the decisions you've made in your advocacy. Were you working in advocacy uh, or in advocacy work prior to this occurring?
1: No. I... Wanted to, you know, it was always a thought in my head. It was always something that I wanted to do. But unfortunately in the society, like it, there's, they give you a thought in your head that you like have to have a college degree in order to help someone in order to be someone, you know? Um, and I just, you know, I just had dropped out of college. And I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do, so I'm just going to work at whatever job that I can get, you know. And that was around that time I was working in kitchens and fast food restaurants or high-end restaurants or hospitals and kitchens. Yeah, and then he died. And at that time I was working at Chick-fil-A. And I actually had just started the month that he died. He died at the end of the month. And I started on the second, so I the second. And I tried it so hard to to keep working. You know, but it was just torture. It was literal like hell on earth for me to have my brother gone and dead and the way he died, you know, he he died in the bath in the bathroom of a homeless shelter. With the Denver rescue mission. And to have that thought play over in my head and to see the report, his death report, and all that. And to be working at Chick fil A. And just the absolute nonsense that I had to go through there. I just ended up leaving in July. I couldn't do
0: it that makes sense I mean try like grief hurts grief is something that anytime that I've experienced it it like is it knocks you down like it it's so powerful it's such a powerful emotion it's so hard to I don't want to say like for me like exists outside of that grief when I when I've lost people close to me it it hurts it hurts and like to focus on work it it's just not like it's not important yeah fortunately
1: for me I had good people in my life at that time to like help me out you know and from July you know, to December you know, when I got hired, like, you know, after him, I'm just like, you know, I threw my hands up in there. I was like, you know what? I don't care about having a college degree. I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to go out there and figure it out and apply everywhere <clears throat> and do it and see how it goes. And I was applying and then I went back to the shelter that i stayed as a as a youth when i was first homeless as a as a 19 year old by myself you know in the world um and i looked at the career pages and i saw peer navigator just like pop up and i read the description and i was like oh i think i could get this so i applied and i got it in thailand in december i had a new job and that was to be a peer
0: navigator working with homeless youth just like I was and it was great that sounds amazing like that yeah. to be able to see like where yourself is where you have been in the past and be able to be that like what you needed mm-hmm. and that, like, I don't know I'm not articulating this right but yeah. like to be able to be the person you needed in the past is such a powerful like transformation
1: and that's how I worked, and, like, that's how, like, my advocacy stemmed from. Like, I need to be what I needed and what my mother needed and all these generational curses. Like, where is the root? and trying to get there.
0: That's so, like, such a beautiful way of, like, like telling your story and living into, like, purpose, I think. I think. Yeah. Um. At least I'm trying to. <laughs> you do an amazing job, Mariana. You're awesome. Like, you're so cool. And then this is like something that you just touched on, but youth homelessness experiences are so different for each person. Do you remember when you started experiencing housing instability or became homeless?
1: Oh, yeah. As a kid, you know, <clears throat> there's a couple times where. We have to be in um, hotel rooms, I'm pretty sure homeless shelters Mm -hmm. if I remember, like if I try to bring that memory back, Um, and cars, um, I remember, because I have four older siblings that were older so they had already left the home, and my mom had to take us and the four younger ones, you know, because we didn't have stable housing and lived with my sister and her family and just like being in the living room and sleeping in the living room like multiple living rooms throughout my life I think I'm more comfortable in the living room than the actual bedroom I feel that
0: when I was little I lived in my grandma's living room for like years years, yeah. and yeah I and I am only one of four in my biological family, but like both of my parents or my, my mom is one of nine and my dad is one of eight. Wow, yeah.
1: So they know they know the struggle. <laughs>
0: yeah. I or it's like something that I really love about like learning from all of the people on like our youth advisory board and like doing these interviews is seeing that there are common themes and there are common threads and like as you said, like, trauma is generational, and, like, there are so many, like, intersections that I think are important to talk about and point out, and, like, alcoholism is generational, drug use is generational, but, like, in my family, it's definitely widespread, like, and it's scary, it's scary, it's scary. Because I also really resonate with the feeling of this could, that could be me, or just seeing how my siblings' lives are very different than mine. Mm -hmm. And so it's like interesting to hear that same feeling or that same thought from another person,
1: you know? Yeah, no, it feels very nice to be like, oh my God, I'm not the only one because, God, this sucks.
0: I try not to talk too much about myself. Because, like, I don't want to, it's not about me, like I said, but also I think talking about your experience, like, sharing experiences, like, helps build relationships. And that's why peer navigation and, like, peer support
1: work, work, work.
0: But, like, from other jobs that I've had and, like, other positions I've been in, I've seen the wrong people, like, in peer navigation roles or in peer, like, support roles. And, like, it's... Sad. It's sad to see people like give advice they don't know anything about, and then get frustrated when the young person tells them it isn't going to work like that. I don't know yeah. if that makes
1: sense. Yeah, and you just have to meet people where they're at, regardless of what age or you know background or religion or whatever. Just meet them where they are, and they decide it's not about the you know yeah. the peer navigators
0: about. Person in front of you. Absolutely. I think that's also like such a good point. Is like, and that's when I started working at NRS, this was something that I liked. And like, I asked them a lot of questions about, even though I don't work on our hotline here. But it's non directive, like, and it's confidential. But like, we, like, if somebody calls and is like, I am thinking about running away, or I'm homeless right now, or like, I have an addiction to this or I am really struggling with this we will give you support and resources but we're not going to tell you what to do like we want to support you in whatever you want to do you tell us what you want to do and we'll help you get there and I think that's like the right way to think about it I don't think a lot of places do think about it that way
1: yeah no I like that a lot
0: because it's cool yeah like letting the young person be in the driver's seat like like making sure that they feel like they have autonomy. Yeah, choice. It's so important. It's so important. Were you aware of supportive services before you left your house or before experiencing housing instability?
1: Yes and no. Like, I knew, like, the big government once because my mom was, you know, we were always on food stamps and, you know, we were always on Medicaid. So I knew I had Medicaid and I knew, like, my mom had food stamps and that's how we bought our food um but I wished she would have done more research or maybe like I would have done more research when we were younger um because I felt like or maybe that wasn't the case you know in the 90s and the early um when I was a kid um of these resources that we have now because I feel like now we have some pretty great somewhat great resources um but I didn't really know all of them. Like, I knew about FAFSA, so, you know, like the big ones. But I didn't know about any, like, local ones or any, like, grants or, you know, like, anything like that or, like, different helps, housing subsidies. Um, yeah. And just, like... And, and I think this is the complaint that a lot of people have nowadays. It's just, like, we don't know about these resources. Where are all these resources? And I feel like we need to make... And I feel like Denver Health is doing something like this, but like just like a hub and maybe other organizations around the United States are just doing like a website or a hub where they can put all the resources, update them frequently so people can just come and not have to call someone or not have to request them or be like, can I see a social worker or stuff like that? I feel like resources should be open and available to people at any time, at any given time of the day, and just easily search it or easily call a number.
0: Did you have someone you could trust while going through homelessness, housing instability, and finding your way to where you are now?
1: I felt like at that time, I wanted to trust people for help. At least, you know, like when I was at the shelter to trust the employees. Um, But now that I used to be a staff member there and talking to the youth there and why they don't trust, it kind of makes sense. Um, just in like the reality of like our society the reality of our past traumas it's like we're not able to Um, you know especially being a woman of color and then being surrounded by white staff members you know I often question like do you really want to be here and like you know my youth question that about me and I'm just like what like no like of course I want to be here Um, so like I tried looking back, like now as an adult, looking at that time period is like, yeah, I didn't, there was like, those doors were like sealed shut, not kind of, not coming open. So yeah, I guess that was a no. I had no trust and
0: I didn't feel like I had anybody. I want to ask a question about that because I think that's for youth with trauma. I think finding somebody to trust is hard like hard and especially like an adult i feel like it's gonna continue like into
1: adulthood um and i think this is where therapy comes into play in mental health and figuring out you know like that trauma and where it stems from unfortunately and just trying to get through it
0: Mariana, I know during the panel in July, we talked a little bit about mental health and access to adequate mental health care um, and what that looks like for people who are either experiencing generational trauma or a generational housing instability um, or other barriers. Could you talk a little bit about your experience, if that's something you're comfortable with?
1: Yeah, of course. And then I, I guess we could like start like again with my mom, just like, unfortunately, you know, because of the trauma that she endured. Um, I don't know, like, you know, there's still like, scientists are still talking about like, which comes first, the trauma or the mental health issues and, or like the mental health issues and then trauma, which made it your mental health issues worse. Whatever it is, if it was her trauma or she, she was prepositioned to, um, mental health, I think that would be the case too, because she has autoimmune conditions and so do I. Um, uh, so she has I feel like again, I don't I'm not a doctor, I can't diagnose her. She never went to a physician that I know of. But I felt like my mom had, you know, severe depression and unfortunately that happened growing up throughout her adult life. And what I know of it, like, how could she not, you know, how could she not go through that and not be a depressed individual, um, a tired individual, which she was. Um, And, you know, that doesn't do good to the body. That doesn't do good to the children that you have, you know, and I feel like because of her depression, like, I gained that, you know, on top of, like, having anxiety um, and then having two autoimmune conditions at the same time. Um, so I feel like that, you know, like, and then depression could kind of connect to, like, what you eat. She didn't eat the best foods when she was pregnant with me, you know, and how active you are. You know, she wasn't as active, you know. Um, so, like, it ties a lot into, you know, like, those things. And, like, mental health is so huge. And I just, like, sometimes it's just like a cloud over your head and, like, you don't even know it's there. And then you take that cloud away and then you realize, oh, like, i actually been depressed since I was a child. And, like, that's all I feel kind of thing.
0: Do you feel like mental health support or resources were available to you or your family?
1: I remember once going to therapy with a therapist and like we did two or three sessions as a kid but I was just like of course as a teenager I was like I'm not doing this like and it was just like no way in hell so of course it didn't happen after the second session I'm like I'm not going um but like I think because my mom had eight kids and, you know, she was an immigrant with no, with no education. I think the highest grade that she completed was the fourth grade. Um, she got pregnant at 14, you know, so it's, it's, she's ha- had a hard life because of that. Like she, all she could do, especially, you know, being in the United States, being in Colorado, um, was work. And, you know, and that's all she could do. Like, there were times that I wouldn't see her because she would do night jobs. Because that's, you know, the only job she was able to get. You know, clean janitorial, cleaning, night jobs. Obviously, like, as she's been in the business, in this cleaning service business, you know, she's gotten a little bit far. Um, but at the beginning, you know, when we were kids as a teenager, it was it was hard. And that's all she could do, like, did I, you know, was I angry for a while, like, to why, like, she could have done more, you know, like, when I first was learning about this, especially, like, my first years of college, um, I was, like, angry at her, because I felt like, well, you could have done this, you could have done this, you could have got up, like, you know, despite you being depressed, and having to work, you know, and feed everybody, being a single mom, you know. And then it just and then one day I just realized like she couldn't, you know. So like it wasn't like and I again I didn't know the programs back then cuz I think like as the years gone by programs and resources have gotten better for the public. Um and maybe that wasn't the case back then. Um but sh- it wasn't about just access, but it was just about the things that were happening to her that prevented her to get those access or to seek out those access to to seek out those resources. Um, so it's just not like one thing. It's a it's a seed of different things that impact this huge thing that impacts this even bigger thing.
0: Um, I know you mentioned earlier that you had dropped out of college and you just referenced it again that you were in college for a couple of years do you think yeah. education was accessible to you what were you studying is it something you're still passionate about
1: so I love school even though like it was very hard I like don't know how I graduate well it was a small school so I graduated the top ten I never really went to school on Mondays or Fridays, and like I I would always leave early, and like, because truly, like, my mom, you know, there's some faults with my mother, you know, like everybody in this world, and there's some beliefs that she had, you know, that, you know, working or creating a family was much more important than education, so she really didn't... And then again, I thought that this also stems back to her depression and her just being tired. Just like, you guys can be as almost as free as you want, at least, you know, to an extent that we were in line and then checked with her. Um, so like, she didn't care about school and like, it was hard for me to go. Sometimes I would take the bus and like, I sometimes I didn't have money for the bus or bus tickets and like, or I just was like, well, my mom doesn't care, whatever. Um, so, like, I loved, even though, like, I was kind of lax about school, like, I loved learning, if that makes sense. Like, I loved... Absolutely. About- yeah.
0: <laughs> I think school and learning... Sadly, you don't always overlap.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. I <laughs> used
0: to skip school a lot.
1: <laughs> yeah. Fun. Okay. That, that, that I feel I feel better about myself that I wasn't the
0: only one. I almost failed out of high school. I I had I was not in the top ten. <laughs> I, <was> like, <laughs> I had like a, like a one point nine GPA for the first like oh. at my first high school i switched high schools a lot because of foster care well that
1: probably impacted it you know like though i did switch quite a bit too it you know like i tried to stay within like the to the same school for a couple years yeah um but though i think i got like a weird like fucked up oh sorry i don't know if you
0: trust <laughs> You can swear, I don't care. I don't care.
1: <laughs> Messed up education um, that I did like um, online learning. Yep,
0: yep. yeah Yeah, like dance.
1: Christian schools. <laughs> <laughs> and like, it was so bad. I was like, oh my God. But my last two years was um, public school. Um, which let's just not get into that.
0: <laughs> anything you want to talk about, we don't have to talk about anything you don't want to and then so what was the applying to college process like for you so after high school
1: okay well then we have to get a little bit into that um so I'm actually no it's okay I am actually this is what I am thankful for public school at least for the public school that I went to is that they prepared us and I think it, it was because it was a, a stem school so they had like college lockout where we had to literally be inside all day and just apply to colleges yeah um yeah which is cool um they helped us with our capstone papers they hopped us with recommendations they like hopped us with presenting which i'm glad they paid me because <laughs> i'm okay with presenting and talking in front of people sometimes I get nervous obviously but like i'm glad i got over that
0: <laughs> you applied through like the blackout days
1: yeah so the blackout days i think i applied to like I want to say 10 colleges and universities, um, and then I got, I got accepted into all of them. Okay. So, yeah, which was cool. I was like, oh. Obviously, like, being a Latina helps because, you know, affirmative action. <laughs> um.
0: I had, like, a different, like, my school didn't prioritize graduation, but, like, I applied to, like, maybe four colleges, and I got into two of them.
1: And that I was high. That was good for me. Yeah, you're just like I'm done. That's good. <laughs> um, one thing that I wish I would have done was like done more research. But then again, I don't know where I would have found like in my research the experiences that I had at well, which was Regis University. Like I went there for two reasons because my best friend was gonna go <laughs> and. Um, and because they gave me the most money um it was between them and Boulder, Boulder just gave me like I think a thousand dollar or a two or two or three thousand dollars shy of what um we just gave me, so I'm just like, well, my best friend's going there, so like let's just do it, you know, um, but the amount of just like and then again, my mom really didn't care for his education so when I told her that I was going and that like she didn't even know about all the process like I just hid that off from her and kind of just like took her taxes for FAFSA like forged her signature <laughs> you know just like oh no, didn't tell her that I was applying to all these things or anything like that like got the mail to get all the letters out you know um And so, in the middle, like, I think that summer she kicked me out, just just like, because I was just like, I'm not going to be taking care of the babies or the kids, because my older siblings had kids, and then my younger siblings were having kids. And so, who was the one that was left, you know, that wasn't working, that was just going to school? That responsibility was on me. And I was just like, I want to get a job during the summer, so then I can, like, be somewhat okay while I'm at school like pay for expenses or anything that I wanted to do but that was like a no-go there was you know so I get it I understand why there were certain beliefs that she felt that I had to live under and like rules that I had to abide by like obviously as a 19 year old I was angry and for many years I was angry about it now um, I get it. I understand it. I, you know, sometimes I'm just like, I'm glad that happened, you know, cause I wouldn't be what I am now. And so she kicked me out and then I went to Regis and I was just like, yo, like this is happening. Is there any way that you can help me out? Um, housing or anything like that. Like maybe give me a discount, anything. Like I was just like desperate at this point. And they were just like, the most we can do is sign your waiver, so you don't have to live on campus. Because mm-hmm. freshmen have to live on campus, and I was just like, okay. <laughs> um, so I accepted the waiver. What, what, you know what? What was I supposed to do? Um... And, you know, so then I went to the library and I typed in homeless shelter and I think what came up was the Denver Rescue Mission and I read just, like, their information on the website and it was just like, yeah, you're going to be sleeping next to, like, in cots, maybe in warehouses next to other people and men. And I was just like, no. Nope. <laughs> I was like, I'm not doing that. Um, and something in my head was just like, research like youth homeless shelter and urban peak pop up, so I was staying at the shelter at the same time that I was starting classes at Regis yeah um, and just like I guess experiencing all that and then realizing that the trauma that I experienced as a child and like as a teenager was still there even though I wasn't in that same environment and so for the first year and a half like you know after I left my home after my mom kicked me out you know I was really happy like I was really you know like I was like this is great like I'm doing what I want and blah 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 like I'm gonna get my housing you know I'm gonna you know do whatever I want and just like that depression that sadness you know um and I, and, I, and during that time, like, I wasn't taking care of myself. I was abusing alcohol, I was abusing drugs. And it just spiraled, unfortunately, for me. And, you know, that's why I just didn't get to finish. And my mental health was so shot. I think I had, I was, like, 89 pounds at one point. Um, and, like, after, like, after I realized, like, I had been that way for a couple of months. I was like, What? And then like I think a week later I submitted myself under a seventy-two hour hold. And then that's when I started my recovery.
0: What has your path to recovery or heal and healing been like?
1: It's been hard. It's not easy at all. It's one of the hardest things I've ever done and will ever do in my life. Um you know, especially after, like, my brother died, like, you know, it's, you know, after I understood why he drank, and then why I drank, and then back then being like, oh, it's, we're not the same, we're different, or like, oh my god, how can he want to live on the streets and drink, you know, because, you know, I thought I was better because, like, at least I have a bed and I have a roof under under my head, you know, over my head. Um, And then he died and, or he didn't die, or he died, but then I also felt like I died. And... It's just been difficult to be in recovery. It's not easy. I still tell myself, like, I still tell people when people ask me, like, oh, you don't drink? I'm like, no, I'm an alcoholic. But I still can't, you know, I still have to, I haven't cut off cold turkey, unfortunately, even though I say I'm in recovery. um, I still live in myself. I still go by uh, rules. But because I am an alcoholic, I can't stop that makes sense. So I don't makes get, sense. I don't get drunk anymore or have ragers or benders, but I still drink.
0: Recovery looks different for everybody. It
1: does. It does. And I think it's unfortunately, I learned this lesson pretty hard and pretty in the worst way possible, but just like making sure that you have the people there that support you in that and don't push you the drugs and alcohol you know regardless of the reason of why you're doing it with this person regardless of who they are regardless of the status that they have or whatever or power or or maybe they don't have anything like that but still like
0: yeah i really resonate with that too is that like you learn who your real friends are if that makes any sense like you learn who has like good intentions for you like who's not pressuring you or who's okay with you say, like Okay with the boundaries that you set. Yeah. And with
1: well, yeah, so like alcohol one drugs, I think I found it to be a lot a little bit more easier again if I surround myself with the right people. Um and make sure I stick by my guidelines and my protocols that I have for myself. um.
0: From your experience, what are the situations that may lead youth to run away and how can service organizations and communities help youth facing, facing these challenges? Well, from my experience,
1: a lot of it, unfortunately, is just abuse um, within families. Um, and then that really highlights like the abuse that LGBTQA youth face um, and just being themselves, you know, and in turn kicking out your child because they have to be gay, lesbian, trans or whatever um is a form of abuse. Um, and that's what you see a lot of in our shelters, at least in Denver, for for what I see. Um and just again, mental health, substance mm-hmm. use, um that just is prevalent in families and and continues, you know, on and on.
0: Yeah. What message do you feel is important for the public to know about young people I- who run away or experience homelessness?
1: I think that we're just people. Like we're just like anybody else. And I think that some people were just born lucky. And that's really, it's like chance and the odds of getting a good deck and the odds of getting a bad deck and just having to play that deck through. And we just need help and love and support, just like everybody else does, and resources, and care, and a home, and a bed, and clothes, and things that you like to do, and hobbies.
0: What specific services were helpful to assist you in moving forward? What services were not available when you needed them?
1: Um, Well, like being at Urban Peak was definitely helpful. Like obviously having that shelter specifically, that homeless shelter really helped me because as a woman and just like as a young woman at that time, I don't know what I would have done. Um, and I think that would have, being there had deterred me from going down, like, very different avenues. Um, or being thrown into a world that, you know, wrong time, wrong place, kind of thing. Um, so, like, that resources of having a youth homeless shelter was huge. Also, um, um, the housing resources that I got, but, Now I know they're much longer, and people could stay in those housing resources much longer, but during, even like, when I was 19, so like six, seven years ago, like, yeah, that, like, I only had it for a year, I think, and I was able to have it, and then they booted me out. Luckily, I was resourceful, and I was just, like, able, you know, to get housing, Um, and I got lucky because I worked at it, and I was like, I'm not going back to a homeless shelter, and plus I aged out, like, so I knew that I couldn't go back to that one, and I knew there wasn't going to be any other one within my range of age, um, so I was going to be with the, like, you know, at the Denver Whiskey Mission, and I was just like, no way in hell, I'm not doing that, um, but yeah, so having that housing resources, now that, you know, they're doing more research, they extended that, Um, I wish, like, I guess now they're doing it, so, like, all these resources that I'm knowing now as a staff member, as someone that's advocating, I'm like, oh, man, I wish I had that resource, or, like, I wish I had the, the, you know, they help you pay your mortgage, or they help you find a house kind of thing, and now I, like, I make too much barely as, you know, and I'm like, oh...
0: Okay. You're like right above the threshold. Yeah, that. like I love when
1: that happens. I'm just like, but I'm still broke though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> um, so now you know, like there is talk within our sphere, or obviously within general society, of just like how like the like there's no middle class. Um, and I'm just like, yeah, like I'm just like getting up out of poverty and being in poverty with my mother and my family the whole time. And now the middle class is is disappearing as I'm entering it. And I'm just like, oh, this
0: sucks. (laughs) (laughs) What actions, services, policies, or systems need to change in an effort to prevent runaway incidents, homelessness, and to better support youth before these situations happen?
1: I mean, there's some actions and policies, you know, that don't really need to change. They just need to get better on. But there's some, like, you know, having better access for LGBTQA population and just like anti-bullying or just like different things like healthcare, better doctors, more knowledgeable doctors, um, on um, what issues that they deal with, um, and just general, how do I say this, societal acceptance. That makes sense Um, for people that are different you know um, and like again going back to like if I can say another thing like going to immigration like that would be a huge deterrent because a huge huge benefit because there's a lot of especially from you know south of the border there's a lot of homeless youth that come from different countries and don't speak nothing of English um, and then it's very difficult to get papers because they're homeless you know because they're the homeless they don't have an ID and they can't apply for jobs they can't apply for housing they can't apply for anything they're essentially a person that kind of doesn't exist um, but can't go anywhere do anything you know the better laws around that um, better regulation on just like affordable housing you know it's uh, absolutely ridiculous um they're sort of starting to do that in denver um now they made it like a law that landlords can't raise their rent above like a certain percentage after a certain amount of years um so there's some stuff that are that are being done but we just gotta do it at a quicker rate if that makes sense
0: Thank you to everyone who has partnered with us this National Runaway Prevention Month. Thank you to everyone who is committed to becoming more aware of the youth homelessness crisis. Thank you to all the young people who share their expertise and speak truth to power. And of course, thank you to everyone who has joined us today for our second episode of the Let's Talk podcast series. Each Tuesday in November, we will publish a new episode where young people lead important conversations about the intersections of youth homelessness and share their stories. I'm Maria and let's talk soon.